ever made a wrong turn while driving? Oh, Leah, okay, you get this. I'm going to get you to stay there for a second, Michael, because I've made, I had a trip. Now, <laughs> you know exactly where this is going. Hands up if you've ever made a wrong turn because your partner was giving you directions. Yeah, maybe, maybe don't put your hands up. No, don't. That's, that's a bad one. Um, I remember when we got a GPS. <laughs> um, um, I used to call our GPS the Marriage Saver 2000 because it is like the greatest thing in the world. But Michael got a, hand, a hold of our GPS. I think I've shared this story before. Michael got a hold of our GPS unit years and years ago and put his voice over all the directions got them wrong on purpose. So instead of saying turn right, it'd go in 300 metres turn right. It's his voice. In 300 metres turn right. No, left, left, left. No, no, it was definitely right. Yeah, right. Now, it's a, ah. <laughs> you know, in, in the roundabout, he's like, in 700, no, 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 now, go left. <laughs> anyway, I just used that setting driving home and it was the most stressful trip home of my life. I know, it's not that far. Yet, yet the, the directions were... You can sit down now, thanks. Um, Michael Fraser, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> yeah, which way is your seat? <laughs> I've actually found recently that, um, that even with the amazing technology that we have, I'll be, be looking at the map and hearing the voice of where to go and when to turn, and I'll still make the wrong decision. Has anybody else done that? Still go in the wrong direction? three people. So I feel a little bit okay. Awesome. So it's not, it's not just me. Like it'll say, turn right, and there's a picture, and I'll go left. <laughs> what am I doing? And then it's, it's the machine's fault, of course, because it wasn't clear enough. <laughs> you see, even with the best intentions, sometimes we, we hear things wrong, or we have our own interpretation, or our own agenda that sits behind our, our thoughts. I was in a conversation with a couple about two months ago who were talking about their grandchild that was learning how to drive on their L's. And the story goes that the, the father was sitting in the, the left-hand left hand, you know, seat and the um, L-plater was driving and they were in a really busy multi-lane freeway in one of our major cities. And the father looked at his left shoulder and saw that there was a gap in the traffic and said, it's okay to merge, but if you, you need to do it now. And so she looked, and she merged. And four cars later, <laughs> um, no one was hurt, thankfully, but it was a, a, an interpretation of, the like, they were both right. He was saying they were clear to merge, and they were, but she thought, of course, he would mean to merge on her way, because her perception was turning right, that's her side, his one was left a simple clarification question, my side or yours, may have stopped the four-car accident. You see, we can hear the instructions, but it doesn't mean that we're always going to get it right. We can hear the direction, but sometimes we interpret it with our own filter, which means we may go the wrong way. When it comes to God's Word, and we're in a series at the moment about hearing the voice of God, how do we make sure not only do we hear the right voice, but make sure that we turn in the right direction and obey that. That's what today's message is all about. So if you've ever found yourself second-guessing God, maybe turning in a direction or maybe even disobeying his voice, today's message is for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I pray as we open up Scripture this morning, as we look at what it is not only just to hear your voice, but to put it into practice, to be obedient, to to follow the, the loving directions of a loving God. I pray that you would help us to be obedient to that voice, but also show us that you have a greater plan than we could ever imagine. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this year, as a church, we've been on this journey to, to follow Jesus, what it is. We've got the, the wristbands. What's up there? Something, there it is. Here we go. We've got our wristbands that we've been wearing. Um, we've got postcards and magnets on our fridges, and we keep bringing it up in our series, what it is to follow Jesus. And there's a couple of key verses that we've been echoing this year. The first comes from John chapter 10, verse 27, and it says, My sheep... Listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. It's not only hearing the voice of our loving shepherd, our loving father, but being obedient, because we want to follow. We want to follow the voice. And there's all sorts that we've pulled apart about the the shepherd knowing where the greener pastures are and following his voice, even going against maybe what we would think would be best. The second verse that we've been reflecting upon this year is Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man that built his house upon the rock. It's not just hearing the words, not just hearing the GPS, hearing the directions, it's the putting them into practice that is the wisdom. And so, how do we do that? How do we put these things into practice? Today's um, main passage of Scripture is a really well-known passage of Scripture. We probably, if you grew up in church or even Sunday school or, or even RE at school, chances are you've heard this story before. It's really familiar. We, we tell it to our kids. It's so familiar. But often in the version that we tell to our kids, we get the message a little bit wrong and the focus and the emphasis. So the mess, this, this story in Scripture, this, this um, account comes from a prophet. Now, a prophet was someone whose job in the Bible was to hear from God and tell others what God had said. That was their job. So they would prophesy or say what the future was because they would hear from God, hear the voice of God, and then be obedient to that and share the message. That was their job. It just so happens that this prophet, whose job was to do that, the one story that is recorded is the story when they actively chose to disobey God's instructions. So if you do have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to the book of Jonah. It's a really short book of the Bible. There's only four chapters. But an incredible book when it comes to hearing about what it is to be obedient to God or not. So if you you don't have it, it's up on the screen. And we read this, Jonah chapter 1. For the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness has come up before me. So Nineveh is doing really, really bad stuff. Like they they are doing terrible things. And because of that, God has said, you know what? These guys, I've had enough. It's time to to stop. So if they don't stop it, I'm going to destroy the city. It was kind of what was happening in that time period. God was sending messages, smiting, as the, the Bible says, and, and, and he, that was the consequence of disobeying God. And so we see Jonah has been told to go to Nineveh. 
and preach against it. So they preach that what they're doing is wrong. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for a port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Why on earth would you do that? Well, firstly, Nineveh had a reputation. A reputation for doing terrible things. There'd been a, a fracture in the culture, and because that Jonah actually wanted Nineveh to fail, they deserved what was coming, was his opinion. They fully, they have done the wrong things. He's done the right thing. They've done the wrong things. Surely they deserve the consequences that are about to come before them. So that's his agenda. That's his thought. That's his starting point. That's what he believed deserved to happen. Last week, we learned about how we've got to separate ourselves from our agenda and God's voice. And what is it to sit in a space of going, God, I want to hear you without my thoughts and my agenda. Here we see Jonah with his agenda. And so what does he do? Well, he just jumps in a boat. And often we think, oh, yeah, he just jumps in a boat. That's a great way to get away. Let me show you how far he wanted to get away from God's call. We've got a map up here. You see Joppa? You see... 550 miles to Nineveh, two and a half thousand miles to Tarshish. This is not just going, I'm going to be disobedient. This is like, I am going to pay the money to go as far from the known world as possible from where God is calling me. It's not just disobedience. This is like passionate disobedience. This is putting his money where his mouth is in being disobedient, paying the fare and heading as far away as he can from where God wants him to be. This is huge. But God has a plan for him. God has a message for him. God is, has got Jonah here for a purpose, to share this message. And so what happens next? Is they're in this boat, and something happens. Verse 4, Therefore the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. It's not just a big storm. The ship is about to break apart. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. This is life and death, life and death so severe that, that the sailors are crying out to other gods and they're doing their bit. They're throwing stuff overboard. They are actively trying to save their lives. And Jonah, when he wakes up, he realizes this is my fault. He takes ownership over his decision and realizes, hey, it's either me or them. All these sailors, they've done nothing wrong. Like they're, they're just... They're just along for the ride, really. I'm the one that's actively being disobedient. He said to them, I'm the one, throw me over. They, they cast lots, it's like short straws, different straws, and he drew the short straw and he goes, yeah, it's me. I'm, I'm trying to intentionally run away from God. We pick the passage up in verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, then it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault, he owns the acceptance, and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, because the men don't want to do it, don't want to kill a guy, they did their best to row back to land, but they could not. 
for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord. You, have, um, you do as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea became calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, capital L, and they, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So what do we see? We see when obedience steps in, God shows up. When, when obedience is followed, that's where God shows up. The sailors are being obedient. They're, they're not even Christian. They're not even, well, this is before Jesus, so this is Old Testament. So they're not worshipping God, Yahweh. They're worshipping other gods. And they're crying out to the God of the sea, and they're crying out to the God of the winds, and they're crying out to the God of the rain, and nothing's happening. Yet Jonah says, it's my fault. He owns it. Throw me over. They they, they cry out to the true God. God, don't judge us for what we're about to do. This guy's saying to do it, so we're going to do it. They throw him over, and God shows up. And what's what's the response of those that wouldn't even call themselves children of the true God? They worship. They make vows. God, you are, wow. They experience God because Jonah was obedient and they were obedient to what Jonah requested of them. This is where sometimes we get distracted in the story. You see, where is Jonah at this point? He's in the water. They're not going to pull him back on the boat because they know what happens when he's on the boat. That's not good. So he's there to die. We read in Scripture that when we disobey God, the consequence is death. That's why when we come around the communion table, when we reflect on the cross, it's so powerful because we don't have to die because of Jesus. But at this point in time in history, he is in the water and he is dead. That's the end of the story at this point. They've thrown him over. He's a long way from home and he's in the water. Yet our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of love. And so what, is he, what does he send? Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. All kinds of parallels between that and Jesus' resurrection. We're not going to go there. But how often do we get stuck on the blemming fish? What kind of fish was it? Is it real? Is this mythology? Is this a story? Was it, a, was it really a dinosaur? Like, oh, man. And the debate arises. And we get so stuck on the fish that we miss the point of the story about being obedient to God's call on our life. And the God of grace and love and mercy that forgives people and gives people second chances, we forget because we're so focused on the fish. And fish are good. If you're into fishing, I'm not having a shot. It's okay. But just hear that this story, don't get stuck on the fish. You see what happens then, as you, I assume you probably would, I can't speak from personal experience, but when you are inside a fish, it's a good time to pray. <laughs> and that's what Jonah does. He cries out to God, thank you, kinda, <laughs> thank you for... <laughs> Put me in a fish for, for not killing me. Lord, for showing mercy on me when I've been disobedient. And I love that the whole time he's praying to God, where's the fish going? 
taking him to where he should have gone in the first place, taking him back in the right direction. We pick it up in the book of Jonah, chapter 3. So we're going through the entire book this morning. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Because our God is a God of second chances. And you can, you can mess up. Sometimes we, we even actively, as Christians, do the wrong thing, head in the wrong direction, make a mistake. Sometimes it's, it's out of ignorance. These poor sailors are stuck on a boat with somebody, that, and it's crazy. They've done nothing wrong, but they've found themselves op- opposing God. Yet God loves them and, and saves them because they end up being obedient and all that stuff. We, sometimes we find ourselves, as Christians, doing the wrong thing as well. making the wrong choice, making something that's that's opposed to what God's word has to say. But God is a God of second chances. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I gave you. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed. A 40-day lockdown was put into place. Too soon? Maybe too soon. And the Ninevites believed God. They proclaimed a fast was proclaimed for all of them, and from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth, which is kind of like this hessian kind of not fun clothes. They put on it was a way of saying, we are sorry. We aren't going to eat or drink. We're going to wear things that are uncomfortable and scratchy in a way of just showing you, God, that we are sorry. Please do not destroy us. They actually believed the message of God, and the Ninevites were obedient. The sailors were obedient. The Ninevites are obedient. God is a God of second chances. So what happens then is God goes, I see your heart. I see that you're fasting and you're wearing sackcloth. I see that, but I forgive you and I'm not going to wipe out the city. And they start worshipping God and aligning their life a loving message that he brings. But let's have a look at Jonah's character then. What's Jonah's attitude towards this? Where's, where's Jonah sitting now? And we get to chapter 4. But Jonah, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. So you see that inside he's now angry at the situation. And I want you to see the tension between God's character and obeying a loving God and obeying our human ideals and sometimes our version of what things should take place. Because Jonah's starting point, and even to this point, is these people have done wrong, they should be punished. There should be a consequence. So that's the attitude that still has not changed. Fleeing to Tarshish in the belly of the fish, proclaiming, even while doing the ministry, even while telling the message of love, he's still holding this within himself. So Jonah seemed very angry. He was very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. And this is the funniest 
attitude to pray a prayer of mixed emotions ever. The truth of who God is and Jonah's anger. Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, this is before the fish. I said it, I said it, I saw it coming. I saw it coming, God. I knew you were going to be like this. This is, this is what I tried to, you know, to forestall by fleeing from Tarshish because I knew you were going to do it. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. What? Like is, really? Is, is that a bad thing? You're slow to anger and you're abounding in love and a God who, who relents from sending calamity. So, what? Like, how can you be angry? So let, let's look at this again. So you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. But he's angry about this because he's got, he's got a trajectory. His thoughts, his ideals think that this should be the outcome and it's a different outcome because God is a God of love. And he's so angry that he says in verse 3, Now, Lord, take my life for it's better for me for to die than to live. He's pretty passionate about this. The Lord replied, speaks to his character, Is it right for you to be angry? I love that God still engages in the conversation even when he's in this space of anger and pain. You see, for us, we're faced with a challenge. We go, do we obey God regardless of what we think the outcome's going to be or do we still hang on to our own ideas and our own thoughts? Our ideas of what the outcome should be or are we fully going to give ourselves to what God has for us? Last week, Ange preached an incredible message about what it is to hear God's voice. And one of the passages she touched on was in, in 1 Samuel, where Samuel himself, the prophet, was, was called to his first action, his first act of obedience, is he learns to hear God's voice. And I think for so many of us across the church and, and online, that, that this is actually where we're at. We're learning to hear God's voice. And sometimes when we hear God's voice, it will go against what we want to do. The story, we won't go right into it. I encourage you to re-watch last week's message if you missed it to catch up. But in this passage, what we see is that, that Eli has actually made a mess of his life. He hasn't been obedient to God. And his sons, for lack of a better word, are running feral. They are off. off. We won't go into that this morning but they are way off. And God's not happy. And Now, Eli is the master, and he's raising up this young guy called Samuel and training him and showing him what he's meant to do in the temple and all these things. And so God calls out to Samuel. Samuel, Samuel. He runs to Eli. And we know that if you were here last week, you would have heard the story. He runs in a few times. And on the, the last time before he runs into Eli, Eli says, realizes what's going on. He says, this time, when you hear God's voice... Respond with this, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. Your servant, someone that will serve you, sits under your authority, will be obedient to you. Now, we stopped the story there last year, last, last, year, last week. And, and it's an incredible story about hearing the voice of God and something that we can all take on board. Yes, Lord, your servant is listening. 
What does that look like? You can put out fleeces, and yes, Lord, I want to be obedient. I'm listening, God. If you, you speak to me, I am listening. Tell me what to do. And that sounds great until sometimes you realize what God is asking us to do. Samuel's next instruction is this. Go to your master, Eli, and tell him that judgment is coming. No longer will I tolerate what his sons are doing in the temple. No longer will I tolerate the the wickedness that he's doing, the the way that he's perverted the the loving message of God within the the church. Once again, I'm trying not to get into it. But what they're doing is so bad that God is about to pass judgment. And the messenger for that judgment is this little kid that's just heard God's voice for the first time. Imagine that conversation. Little Samuel walks in to Eli, and Eli's there and goes, Ah, again, what is it this time? There's the message. And because Samuel was obedient to God's instruction, God used Samuel to do amazing things. You see, it's like this, that the idea of hearing from God isn't actually about the outcome, it's about being obedient. Obedience is the win. When we hear from God and we do it, that's great. If God says to you, I want you to apply for that job, you go, okay, you apply for the job, you didn't get it. And then you turn around and go, why God? He didn't say you were going to get it, he just wanted you to apply for it. You were obedient, that's the win. I've got to go, you know, I feel like God's telling me I've got to go to speak to that person. I don't know what about. And it, it turns into a really awkward conversation. And you walk away from that just going, what was that? It's not about the result, it's actually about the obedience. You are obedient to God. That's a win. Good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. We're not meant to have all the answers. We're not meant to, to know the end game. Don't put our agenda into it. Just be obedient. I've got to say, there's times when God wants me to pray for someone. There's times when God wants me to pray for healing for someone. And I say, I'm, I'm Baptist born and bred. And the church that I was, and this is not a criticism on our Baptist brothers and sisters, but the church that I was brought up with was quite traditional. And the idea of laying on hands and praying for someone was not a part of my experience. But sometimes I feel like God asked me to do that. And so with all of my own sort of inner wrestle of, this is weird, how do you? You're like, I don't know, I feel really uncomfortable. That's what I feel like on the inside. I don't know how to do it. But it doesn't matter. And I don't know what to say because I don't know what to say. That doesn't matter. I'm just meant to pray for them. And out of obedience, that, that's the win. They probably walk away just going, that was weird. <laughs> that's okay. Like, you can do that because the goal is being obedient. You can feel awkward in the moment you can, and you push against yourself and, what the, and it feels weird. But that's okay because the win is obedience. I want to say that Jonah, when he was obedient, had to go and bring, make friends with the enemy. Samuel had to give bad news to his teacher and master. Abraham had to leave everything he knew in, in the Old Testament, all of his support network, everything, and set off for a land he didn't even know the destination for. 
Moses had to push through not only a speech impediment, but also had to go and face the consequences of an action that he did that potentially could have put him in prison. David had to take on a massive giant, even when he was a child. Nehemiah had to ask the enemy for resources to rebuild the other, his people's city. Excuse me. Daniel went into the lion's den. Noah built an ark when it hadn't rained, and the people were like, what are you doing? There's no water here. The disciples faced persecution time after time again, and Jesus was in the garden wrestling with his humanity when he said, God, is not my will but yours when it came to him going to the cross and dying for us. And his humanity said, I do not want to do this, but not my will but yours. And the God of love is, this is, if this is how I show love to your creation, I will be obedient. I want to say that obeying the voice of God is not easy. But Jonah saved a nation. Samuel became God's prophet and anointed the king that brought God's, brought God's people together. Abraham was the father of Israel and through his generations was also the father of the Messiah. Moses led people out of slavery. David was the greatest king Israel ever knew. Daniel influenced the kingdom. Noah saved humanity. The disciples grew God's church. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, gave everything so that we could have everything. And that God that gave the message to these guys want to have a mes- has a message for you. We don't know the outcome. And that's okay. We're just called to be obedient. I was listening to some messages on this over the past few weeks in preparation for today and Andy Stanley's father, Charles Stanley, said in one of his messages that we obey God and we leave the consequences to him. When we obey God, that's the goal, that's the win. The consequences, well, actually that's not our problem either. If we're obedient, that's the win. The consequences, well, they're also up to God. If God says, turn right, you turn right. It looks like a dead-end street. Well, that's up to you, God. You tell me to turn right. This, this looks like a weird place to be, God. That's okay. Leave the consequences up to him. I want to encourage us to be obedient to God's voice. I want to finish with this... Um, this story, it was about 15 years ago, I was at York Street as the kid's pastor, and God had actually called Yvette and myself and our kids to move to Sydney. We were about to leave everything we ever knew. We're country people, and we're going to the big smoke. We actually thought Ballarat was the big smoke. <laughs> it's not the big smoke. <laughs> And so that was a massive journey, the hardest and best decision we ever made as far as where we live and being obedient to God. Fleeces everywhere. I'd love to share that story with you sometime. But as we're about to finish our ministry here, God laid something on my heart, which was really weird. And it was that York Street can become a church that can influence not only Victoria, but potentially Australia. I'm like, what on earth is that? I'm on my way out. What? Why would you place something on my heart for York Street when we're leaving? I don't get this. I don't understand it. And we finished and we went to Sydney. It was an incredible ministry up there. And we said, if you finish well, you can always go back. And 
Who'd have guessed? You can. <laughs> a part of what God placed on my heart 15 years ago was, was something as simple as, you know, a country church like York Street in Ballarat with, with country values and simple language in how we preach. It's God's word always, but we do it in an accessible, simple way. What if we could video that and send it out to others? 15 years ago, that was a part of what God laid on my heart. There's more to it, but that was a part of it. Now, I promise I am not responsible for COVID <laughs> at all. And we wrestle with that, of course. But it was at the start of 2020 when James McKee, who's, who's operating sound um, this morning, thanks, James, was sitting down here with an iPhone and a laptop and about 17 kilometres of cable. And I remember the cable was a concern because I was worried about people tripping over it. That there was this idea of, oh, that's what that meant. All oh, right. I'd actually half forgotten about it. It was something that was sort of still niggling in there of this, this idea, and I couldn't remember if it was mine or God's. And I've got to say that, that God has used his plans and that obedience to go, hey, actually, York Street's designed for something bigger. York Street, God's placed something in my heart, but something for us as a church that, that was a seed planted 15 years ago. I didn't know what to do with it then, but obedience means that, hey, now we've got online church. And that's something that we, I don't know what they do over there. There's all this gear, it's awesome. There's this lever that looks like something off the Death Star in Star Wars. Like, every time I get near it, I play with it. It's awesome. Walk past and have a, have a go. It's the most rewarding little feeling um, ever. And I don't know what it does. I don't know what half the stuff does over there. Um, it's just cool. There's this little pad. This is off topic. There's this little pad that you press buttons, and I want to mount it on your wrist so everything's like as a suit, and you can control bits. It's like a... Anyway. That's pretty much... That's not God. That's me. <laughs> But I want you to hear that because of that obedience, not really knowing what it was going to do, I don't control what happens over there. Like this is all, God has just got his hand upon it. And because of that, those that are watching at home today get to, to see that because of obedience to God. We don't understand some of it, we're just being obedient. We don't know what's going to happen long term with, with the, the online ministry, we're just being obedient to what God is doing in the here and now. See, see, it's when we follow God that we win. It's not about the destination. I don't know where online's going to go. No idea. But we just got to follow God in that and see what happens. Do our best. Are we going to mess up? Of course we do. Well, I started talking about, Lord, what the heck was that? Of course we're going to mess up along the way. We just got to be obedient. I want to pray that each one of us would be open to God's voice this week. Open to his instructions in the big and small things that we'll face today, tomorrow, this in the weeks and months to come. That Jesus said, my lambs, they know my voice. I love them and they follow me. Will you choose to follow God's voice this week? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that when we follow you, sometimes it can be really, really difficult. We think of Samuel when he had to give a really hard message to his master. 
We think of Jonah who had to face people that he wasn't big fans of and share the loving message of a loving God. Lord, we think of that moment where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane when everything within him didn't want to go through what he was about to go through. Yet because of obedience, we get to pray directly to you. Out of obedience, the message that you said through Jonah saved an entire city. Because of obedience of Samuel, he was able to be in tune with your voice. And out of obedience, raise up kings, correct kings, and speak at a level that no other human would have capacity or authority to because he spoke your words to those in leadership. Lord, today I pray that we would be able to firstly discern your voice amongst our own thoughts. Lord, may our thoughts be pushed aside. May we test your voice against Scripture, in prayer, through your Spirit, with conversation, with wise and godly counsel. Lord, where appropriate, may we throw out fleeces. There's times when there's a big decision to be made. And we just need that extra clarification that it's you. And Lord, then may we be brave enough. May we be wise enough. May we be faithful enough. May we be loving enough to follow your voice. No matter what the consequences, no matter what the outcome. And may we do so knowing that when we follow your voice, that's the win. That's when we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we pray where possible and where appropriate, we would have the blessing of seeing the outcome of that obedience. Whether it be an iPhone at the front of a church or may it be somebody that's come into relationship with you. May it be somebody that's corrected a life choice that has gone against the way you've called them to live. May it be somebody that's been wrestling with a decision and their own selfish ideas have just been stopping them from growing into who you've called them to be. Lord, may we be obedient to your voice and allow you to be responsible for the consequences. Lord, this week, may we be your church, not only in thought, but in action and deed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.